0: All right, well, I think we're, um, we'll go ahead and begin. Oh, yes. If you want to announce, but you
1: don't have to. Oh, sure. The giving Tree.
0: Oh, have yeah. sign up, yeah. but you announce whenever you want. Okay, and, and do they just come to you and sign up? Okay, right. Giving Tree, and, and what does that go to again? It goes to, these are for St. John's. Okay, got it. Um, Okay, just a short announcement. Uh, The giving tree is up. Please talk to Penny um, if you want to sign up for giving to St. John's, right, in Detroit. Um, So uh, don't forget that. If you'd like to to give a little, uh, you can do that. Sign up for the giving tree. Uh, And with that, let's pray. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Dear Heavenly Father, we ask that your word would continue to draw us to you through your Son, Jesus Christ enlighten our hearts and minds, that we might cling to you always. Amen. <clears throat> all right, well, um, we, we've been going at a pretty good pace. We're, at, we're already at Hebrews 4, so don't ever say I didn't go fast enough. Um, all right, well, um, just to sort of catch us up from where we were, uh, we started chapter 1, God's Son speaks. So again, this is sort of where it's all coming from. In the last time, in the days before, it was the prophets. Now it is Jesus. Chapter two. We're told, if you want to keep the salvation, what do you need to do? If you want to keep salvation, what do you need to do? Read the word. Read the word. Pay attention. Right. We must pay closer attention to the things that we have heard. Um, all right. Um, so. Through this, also, we see Jesus uh, bringing his children to glory in his suffering. Chapter 3, we have the comparison of Jesus and Moses. That's sort of what we focused on last week. All the Old Testament was a preparation and a picture. Uh, So sort of our theme verse for chapter 3 was in verse 5. Moses, indeed, was faithful in all his house as a servant For a testimony of the things which would be spoken afterward. So Moses speaks for our sake. And he's telling us the things that we need to know about Jesus. Um, And then we get this admonition. Therefore, beware, lest any of you have an evil heart of unbelief. But exhort one another daily. Um, I I don't think he's here right now. But um, the president... Uh, not of the U.S., but of Emmanuel, uh, Tim Haller. Uh, we were talking afterwards last time, and, uh, and, and we, was he here? Oh, he is here. Um, he, uh, we, we, were, we were discussing how uh, this actually, and I didn't bring this out. I, I more sort of drew it into yourself um, of what questions do you ask yourself, right? How do you examine yourself? But, but he, he brought this up. I thought it was good. Um, but exhort one another daily. You're actually exhorting each other. So that, uh, what does this imply? If we are to to exhort one another, um, especially with uh, this in mind. So I'm going to start at verse 12 in chapter 3. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin." Alright, so you have an evil heart, you want to be aware of that, and you're supposed to exhort people. Um, how would you exhort someone? Let, let's do a sort of test case here. How would you go up to someone, because Jesus said so, and exhort someone so that, there aren't, so that they are not hardened by sin? What would that look like? How would you carry that out? Yeah. Um well like
1: the white read up and like um sharing good things that he has done to through like like the lessons, like, oh hey, you know I gotta get my or he got some good, he hasn't
0: done them and also you know, like like kids are sick and now they're feeling better and I know the world is and then you say, Hey, how about you? And then start talking to getting glory to have Yeah, Good. Yeah, yeah, I think that's one way to exhort through encouragement, right? That's one way to say, you know, I, I have these things of the Lord and bear witness. How else? Now, that that's um that, that I think is uh, a testimony that is of the good things of God, and we can do that. But, but here, there's also an addition. Um, Lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Uh, so why would you exhort someone... Um, in, in, in the way of getting them out of the deceitfulness of sin? First of all, well, let's, let's, let's ask a question beforehand. Why would you exhort someone in the first place? I don't care about them. To, save, uh, to save their souls. Yeah, right? Why would... We're exhorting people because we want them to be saved, right? Um, and so then, uh, what... What then, now that's nice. Uh, I'm I'm digging deeper here though. Uh, Yes, you want everyone to be saved, but what would distinguish someone that you would exhort them? What would would single someone out that you would say, oh, I should probably go exhort my friend there?
1: I would imagine an obvious sinful nature, an obvious sin that they're non-repentant.
0: Yeah, they're sinning. They're doing bad stuff. And so you go up to them and say, hey, stop it. Or, or hey, that's sin. Don't be deceived. Right? Um, so, and and but you set the motivation right. And this is the motivation, right? Today, today is the day of repentance. I don't want you to be hardened by sin. So go up to them and tell them. Let them know this is sinful. It's going to hurt you. Um, now that doesn't quite level with our normal practice, does it? Usually, if we go up to someone, you know, we don't want to start with. Uh, By the way, um, Bob, you've been uh, you've been really sinning lately. I've noticed. <laughs> right, uh, and yet. Um, yet this is what we're told to do. Now, of course, we should do this in gentleness, just like our dear Lord does it to us. Um, and, and I think that's why it was good to start maybe the conversation in uh, in a different way. Um, but still, uh, here, here's something else. How, how would you know if someone's sinning or not? Oh, that's true. Maybe they... Yeah. Yeah, good. Okay, so so this is one way: is, is they bear witness themselves of their sin, um, or in conversation it comes up. Okay, so but but you're you're jumping ahead. Um, what is required for that to happen? What is required for them to even uh, tell you of that? Yeah, right. You have to talk to people. You know, again, sometimes we overcomplicate how this works. Um, if you don't talk to someone, you're never going to exhort them, <laughs> right? If you don't talk to someone, you're never even going to find out who they are or what they're doing or why, right? Um, so that's one way is you actually talk to your brothers and sisters in Christ. I know it's novel, um, but, you know, you, you talk to people you like, right? Uh, and, and if anything, in our... Um, our our gospel today, you should know that you should love Christians and you should talk to them, right? Um, Okay, so that's one aspect is talking to them. What else? What else would we do so that we would even know if they're sinning or not? Don't think too complicated. Oh yeah, that's true. Right, everyone sins. Yes, and so there is a commonness of our sin uh in this world. Right? we know what it's like to be a sinner? Um, so there's a kind of exhortation where we're just always talking about it. And I think that goes back to the first response is we're just constantly sort of exhorting one another. Um, and when we talk, we're talking of how we have been forgiven, uh how we've received the mercy from God, uh and why why the other person would need mercy as well. So that, yeah, that's good. Um, but here's another thing so you're talking to someone you're also actually doing stuff together okay you're not just talking to each other but you're doing stuff together so that you actually see what they're doing and you know what they're doing because you use your eyeballs right and again this does seem like you know very basic things but there's an assumption here that christians actually do stuff together there's an assumption here that Christians actually talk to each other, um, and that we have uh, room to exhort one another. Um, now, maybe the, the best way of thinking of this is uh, when you thinking of your own family. Okay, um, if you have a tight family, and one of your brothers or sisters, literally one of your brothers or sisters, is doing something stupid, what are you going to do? Hey, stupid! <laughs> Stop that! <laughs> right? Well, and that's sort of what, what, we're, what we're talking about here. Is when we become comfortable with one another, when we learn to be with each other and love each other. Love, love does that, doesn't it? And why do you do that to your family? Why do you? Why do you? Why are you sometimes rough with them? What? You, you care. You care about them. You don't want them to be messed up. You don't want them to be in a bad situation. And so sometimes you even get angry with them, right? What are you doing? Why did you do that? You know better. You're smarter than that, right? And and that kind of exhortation is also what we Christians should be doing. You know, hey, stop that. You know, that's going to hurt you. You know that, right? And that's good. It's good for us to be among each other and to exhort one another. Um, so yes, we should do it gently, but also sometimes, even out of season, it can be a little rough, right? Hey, that's not that's not right. Don't do that. Right? Um, this is sort of what we teach our children when we discipline them. Uh, is we we discipline, and it seems the opposite of love, because punishment always feels bad, right? Having an uncomfortable conversation with someone about what you've seen them do and that you wish for them to stop because it's sinful doesn't seem like something we want to do. And yet, isn't it loving? Isn't it loving to talk to people and help them through their sin? And not as one who judges them, but as one who's in sin with them and struggling and needing the same forgiveness. So we don't approach people with, with pride. But as those who are walking together, stumbling together over one another sometimes, we exhort one another. Um, and, and then that verse 14 really sort of seasons it. Um, so I'm in, I'm in chapter 3, verse 14. Uh, For we have become partakers of Christ. See, that, that's why we're doing it. We're together in this. We're partaking of Jesus. We're sharers in Christ. And that's why we talk about sin. That's why it's okay to tell one another, hey, you know that's sinful. You know, Confess, right? Don't keep that. Get rid of it. Okay. Um, all right, so now we're in, in chapter four. Now, again, I'm bringing up this language of family and of walking together because now, we're, we're, if you can imagine the Israelites in their camps. Um, again, I think the picture is best in... in Hebrews brings this out. Um, What did it look like as Israel was wandering through the desert? I mean, and I mean visually. What did it look like?
1: Several things come to mind. First of all, they see the pillar, the pillar's guiding
0: them. Oh, yeah. Okay, can't forget the pillar, right?
1: ground every morning. Ah, uh,
0: okay, good, good. I mean, they're
1: seeing obvious miracles, yet they're complaining because, what, they don't have enough garlic or something.
0: Yeah, so they're seeing, they're seeing miracles, so that's one thing it looks like. From their perspective, it looks like, oh yeah, or I'm seeing the glory cloud, and I'm seeing manna in the morning. Yeah, that's one way it looks. I mean, but what
1: this would be after the parting of the Right,
0: right. This is when they're wandering in the wilderness. All right, but let's say you, you saw them wandering. What does it look like? What do they look like? Yeah. It looked like a big group of people walking around. Right? I mean, that's what that's what's happening. They, they're they camping. I mean, it's like one big, awful camping trip that never ends for 40 years. Uh, I don't know, have you, uh, has, has anyone been tent camping often? No? No No one's a tent camper? Are you a tent camper? As a child, we went off for three weeks. Oh, wow, you went for three weeks? Okay, so what was it like? Well. Did you like it? Okay. So by right. So alright, really. uh, right. I'm an right. only child,
1: so I figured it out myself. Uh, you know, it was just something
0: different that we did every summer. Is it uh, something that oh do you did it every summer? Okay, alright. Do you we do you, property and we didn't build on it. Ah, alright, alright. So, so you had some land. Um black flies were so bad when I was <laughs> okay here you, you wanted an end to the tent camping at least mom did yeah and that's usually what happens right someone wants a shower <laughs> and then camping's over <laughs> um but again yeah it's this group of people who's not exactly comfortable right again you know when if you can there are there were hundreds of thousands of people on this huge camping trip. And, and when you woke up in the morning, there was some food on the ground. You had to get it together. And then you had to go cook it, you know. And then, again, you didn't know how long you were going to stay there. You know, the, the glory cloud rests. You rest. And that could be for a couple days or a couple months. But it, this was not home. And so you're just walking in here. If you could see Israel, it would literally look like a cloud that rises. And the big group going. And, oh, the cloud settles. And now Israel is going to camp there for a few days, except for it wasn't a vacation, right? There was no end in sight, and for the people who were in the in the wilderness wanderings, um, this was forty years. And what was God's promise to anyone who was twenty years or older? Anyone who was twenty years or older, you're going to die in the wilderness. You're never going to you're never going to find a place to settle. Now if that doesn't cause you to despair, I don't know what does. Um, But again, this is what it's being related to. But for us, this, this should not cause us despair. Instead, we should look like those who are 20 and below who are actually at the end of this 40 years getting into glory. But there is this distinction, right? So, so which one are we? Are we the ones who, have, who the Lord has said, you're not going to enter the promised land? Or are we those who are 20 and younger who see this wilderness wandering as this is not the end? I, I'm, I'm just, I, I, this is something that we are getting through. And then once we get to the end, we have a promised land we're going to go to. And we're most definitely not going to say no again. <laughs> um, so, so this is then the group. We're, we're, and as the church, we sort of look like this. We're just a bunch of people who gather on a Sunday. You know, we got a building. And uh, and yet, the glory of God is among us. And Jesus is here, giving his gifts. And they look like sort of ordinary stuff. They don't look spectacular. Um, And yet, we are receiving the gifts of God, even in the wilderness. And there is an end. There is a rest. And we have some of it even now. And if the Israelites would stop to think about it, they too got to rest. Where could they find their rest in the wilderness? As Israel's wandering, this big group of people camping, where were they, Where could they find their rest?
1: In their faith. In, the, in
0: what Moses They had faith, yes. Where would they go?
1: I was going to say, you said it best in your sermon this morning when I wrote it down. You said, faith sees death... As a portal to life
0: eternal yeah that's true right so for us we know that these wanderings uh, they, they are a type for us they're a story to us and they're a warning to us as well as an encouragement uh, that there is a place where even now we can find God and receive his gifts what is that place now what Church. Church right now it's the church for Israel what was it? The tabernacle. It was the tabernacle. And that's where the glory cloud rested. So as they're going through the wilderness, there is actually an entire, in Leviticus, he tells them how to break camp, how to start camp, how to put everything together. So he got Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers, where all these instructions are given. And now the people follow these instructions. They, there was a very particular way. Which, which tribes of Israel and where they camped. And all of it was centered on what? The tabernacle. The tabernacle's in the middle. And that's where they participate in God's peace and rest. So that even those who would fall in the wilderness, they could go there and receive forgiveness for of their sins. Okay, <clears throat> so that's sort of what... I, I wanted to give you that as we read through this. Because again, that's sort of what we're dealing with in these wilderness wanderings. Alright, chapter 4. Um, therefore... Since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear, lest any of you seem to have come short of it. For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. But the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. All right, so um, we have a promise still to enter his rest. And this is our great comfort, right? That They didn't get in without us. We still have rest, and we still have a goal. Um, but what are we fearing? It, it's sort of a strange thing that, that happens here, but what, what are we afraid of in this particular passage, in verse 1?
1: Would that be that we are not counted to enter his...
0: Yeah, yeah, that's what we're afraid of, right? That some would fall away. But who are the subjects here, and and who are we concerned about? So let us fear, lest any of you seem to come short of it. the The other Christians! So you notice it's actually an outward. So we just talked about exhorting one another, so that the Christians who are seeing others... Again, in this big group, right, here we're a congregation, and, and this is who he's talking to. We're a congregation, and there are some of us who tend to wander, right? And, and let us fear, or let us take care of those, lest any seem to fall short of it. So we are actually to look out for our members. We're to look for one another. Um, and what is then the admonishment in, uh, in verse 2? What, what do we need? We need two things, and some people only have one. Yeah, we need the gospel and faith, and some people are only hearing the gospel and not mixing it with what? Faith! So this, then, is part of what we need to encourage one another to do. Um, Because, again, it's not just about showing up. Because if that was the case, all of Israel should have been saved. And that's his point. Listen to what he says. Um, For indeed, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. They heard it with their ears. But they didn't trust it. It wasn't mixed with faith. So this then is the admonishment. That we should both hear and trust it. That's, it's, it's hearing mixed with faith. Okay, Um, verse 3. For we who have believed do enter that rest. All right, so now you're hearing and believing, and now what's happening? We have entered that rest. As he has said, so I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day in this way that God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this place, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains that some must enter it, and those to whom it was first preached did not enter because of disobedience, again he designates a certain day, saying to David, Today, after such a long time, as it has been said, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Okay. Okay. So, in verse 3, we get the answer. um, How do you enter the rest of God? Believing. Again, um, so then, what what should your number one concern be in this life? What should you be most concerned about in these wilderness wanderings? what well yeah that's true yeah but but we know how to get there now right we know how to enter it so so then what what should be our concern our faith. our faith our belief should be our number one concern in all of our life and this then is why he is admonishing us again and again because what what does our sinful flesh think is valuable yeah, well, yeah, yeah, that's true. It thinks itself is valuable. Yeah, that's true. Um, what, do, what do we think is valuable as sinners? Or if you don't want to, if you don't want to look too closely yet, um, what, what did the Israelites think was so valuable during their wanderings? Their personal comfort. They yeah, have their comfort, right? That's first of all. And how do we know that? What did they do? They complained. They complained. Yeah. yeah. And what was one of the things that they wanted? They wanted to reach the promised land. Well, they wanted to reach the promised land. And that's good. Let's start there. So why why did they originally reject the promised land? Why did Israel reject the promised land?
1: I personally think that they required too much, uh, too much comfort. They, they required that they didn't have to go through all the Frustration.
0: Yeah. Yeah, they required that, and they... And they were afraid of the guys. And they were afraid, right? Yeah, so both, right? They didn't want to go through the discomfort of facing the, the giants, right? Um, yeah? I was going
1: to say, I'm holding I think, excuse me, they're probably more afraid of the unknown. What's on the other side? More the other side. old light, that they do. This new life that we're looking on the head, we don't know what's there, but we trust the old life. We you know not pain, misery, and slavery, etc. That we're used to. This new life, we don't know, so we'll like we don't know.
0: Yeah, yeah, and and I think that's one of the number one things about the flesh. What does it rely on? What you know. What you can experience. And and this then is the weakness of our flesh is It is blind to the things of God. And how do we become seeing? Yeah, it's a strange thing. We become seeing by hearing. (laughs) Which means, which means what about what we see? If we become seeing by hearing, then, then should we trust our eyes? No, and, and this, this then is the most frustrating thing about the Christian life. Because what is the thing about faith? You can't see. So then, our job is not to see. Because how, how then? We don't use our eyes to see God. What do we use to see God? Our faith, our, faith, our ears. We have to listen to God and he will tell us what to see. Because again, if we rely on our eyes, you're, you're right, Rolando. You, they looked with their eyes and what did they see in the promised land? They saw nothing but difficulty and what they knew was that they didn't want to face this, these armies. Right? They saw death. But, you know, but God told them, what was this supposed to be? What did God tell them was in the promised land for them? A land flowing on milk and honey. He said, this is your rest. But what did they call it? They saw danger and violence. They, they said, this is no good. So they called the rest of God work. And they called everything that he called good, evil. And that's what sin does. It takes what it sees and it replaces God's word with my word, and then I start listening to myself. See, that's the deceitfulness of sin. If you listen to yourself, you'll get what you ask for. You will only hear what you say, and you will wind up with what Israel wound up with. Because God's word doesn't just cut one way, right? So he says, here's the promise of milk and honey, and then if you reject this, what did they wind up with? They followed what they thought and they followed their own opinions and what did they wind up with? What did Israel wind up with in the wilderness? What? They wound up with what they feared! They all died! They died by snake bites. They died by the ground opening and swallowing them alive. They died by all the ways that they thought they were avoiding. So see... So see, again, sin is is deceitful. It leads you in a way that seems obvious, and yet when you wind up there, you wind up with everything opposite of what you thought. Because it's not the truth, it's a lie. So when the snake promised Eve you'll be like God, what did she become like? Like the devil. It was everything that was the opposite. Because that's what lies do. They lead you... In the wrong direction. Okay, so belief then is our number one thing. We must cherish it and use it. Um, okay, and it, and, it, and and so now we're talking about faith and rest. So now he's now the the dialogue here turns to rest, and and we're told in a sort of a logical fa- logical fashion, um, God established rest on what? Uh, sorry, when did God establish rest? the seventh day god rested now it's it's sort of strange to think of because oftentimes we don't think of creation in this way but god wants us to enter the seventh day so what was that seventh day of creation what was happening He rested. yeah he rested but but unpack that what does it mean that he rested on the seventh day did god stop working No, I mean, we know that he didn't stop working because he still sustains all things, right? So so what did he rest from? What did he stop doing? Creation, right? He stopped creating new things. So in this way, rest is completion. Rest means now enjoyment. It means now instead of making new things, we enjoy the things that have been made. And so the rest then is not a lack of work, but rather a reception of all the things that God has made. Uh, And and even uh, a a rest in the nature God has made in us. So Adam and Eve were actually in the day of rest. That's the seventh day. This this is the rest of creation. And they exited the rest when sin came. So rest ended and we became restless. Restless. We became those who were bowed down by work. And notice, what is the curse to Adam? By the the sweat of your breath. No more rest for you, Adam. No more rest. Because you will think that the things of God are labor and burdensome. The very things that should have been rest to you will now become your most hated enemy because we won't want to do righteousness. Because we'll be stuck with sin. And because loving one another will seem like a burden. But now we're going to enter into the rest again. So he established it. So that's when it started. The day of rest started on the seventh day. Now, um, later he says, they shall not enter my rest. Because this is verse 5. So he establishes the beginning. He establishes what happens now. Right? They're not going to enter because they don't have faith. And then in verse 6, since therefore it remains that some must enter it, and those to whom it was first preached did not enter because of disobedience. Again, he gives a certain day. All right, so he established it on the seventh day. Israel didn't enter it. And it remains for some to enter. Okay, so, so he's setting up this timeline then. And then he tells us, when can we enter? When, do, when can you enter the rest? Um, Tony said, when you complete your task. You, no, not quite. Um, I mean, that, that's how we think of it, right? We finish, our, we finish our task and we rest. That's true. But this is a different kind of rest. So when in time can we enter that rest based on this? What? Today. Now. This is the, This is our greatest joy. You are hearing this, and it's Today. You get to enter God's rest now. There's no, there's no waiting. There's no line. Right? But you have it now. And he just... He already said that in verse 3. For we who have believed it do enter that rest. And today is the day we continually enter it. Because once we are in it, we remain in it. Because we remain in faith. And we no longer have to do works to get to heaven... We no longer have to be restless because we are fighting against God and against His will. Um, and, and notice in verse 8, he, he, he really wants to emphasize this, um, in verse 8 and 9, that, that it's not over yet. Okay? If Joshua had given them rest, then he would not have afterwards spoken of another day. Rest is still being offered now. Now, this would be also a comfort to those who, uh, at the time that this sermon was being preached, think that they have to be part of Israel and that they missed the boat, right? Or somehow they have to get back to the promised land, uh, which is Canaan, which is get the temple back. No, that's not how it works. You don't need sacrifices. You don't need anything else but what? Christ. And where do you find him? The Word. The Word. That's what you're believing. That's what you're hearing. And that then is what delivers you into the day of rest. Again, we, we sinners, the, re- the reason why it's so complicated for us is because we're complicated. It's not because God is complicated. He tells you and wants you to continually rely on Him. Um, the problem is, remember, uh, going back to ver- uh, chapter 2, what is the what is what is happening to us on a daily basis? If you look to chapter two, verse one, their answer is there. But maybe you remember what's happening to us on a daily basis. What happens to you on a daily basis? Yeah, there's this constant flow of time, of action, of all these things, and he says, "Pay attention, unless you drift away." Right. So, so again, imagine it being, and later on, he will tell you there is an anchor. Right. Christ is an anchor, and that is the that's the picture he uses. But you're being anchored then, and this also is a kind of rest. You notice sin is a ceaseless activity. And a corruption of God. But faith is rest in Christ. The work is done. It's completed. There's no more to do. Which is very frustrating for us sinners. Uh, Because again, we would rather rest in our own flesh. Uh, This is why the world is deceitful to sinful flesh. Because we want the stuff we see. Just like Israel, we want the quail. I, we, we, want, we want our way of the promised land. We want our own promised land, Lord. We'll tell you what the promised land is. Um, but here we see the day is still today. He's calling you now, and the rest is still there for you. And this is our greatest joy, that it's not over yet, and that we have entered it already, and that we will then enter fully on the last day. So it's now, it's faith, Then it will be in sight. But don't confuse the two. If you confuse those, you will look for heaven on earth and you will not find them. That's what Israel looked for. Okay, so um, notice then uh, in verse 10 For he who has entered his rest, that is, he who has entered the rest of God, has himself also ceased from his works, as God did from his. What works are we ceasing? Yes. works of the flesh? Yeah, the works of the flesh. Well, that's one, right? Mm -hmm. So we're stopping. So sin no longer rules in our mortal flesh because we can confess it, right? Um, So we don't just live in sin. We cease those works. Yes, that's one way. What other works are we ceasing? Yeah, yeah, we no longer have to work to try to obtain faith or work and try to obtain some other paradise. Again, this is... What they didn't get was, when they got to the promised land, is God was going to conquer all those enemies. Right? And so now, actually, we're done. It's over. Test is done. Jesus accomplished it. There's no more to do. Right? You will not get into heaven by your own work. So we actually stop working to be saved. Again, this is the paradox of our faith uh, and why it is glorious but frustrating to our flesh. Um, also, this means we don't, um, when we are in suffering or in pain or in depression or whatever else is in, uh, our works aren't going to save us from that. Right? What's going to save us? Faith. Faith. So, so we, so again, our furious activity is not what delivers us. Our faith in God delivers us, and and of course, this will be filled up here in, in just a second as we end here. Um, but okay, so now verse eleven. So, if all these things are true, right? If there's still a rest that remains, and we don't, and we, we're taking care that no one wanders away, we enter the rest by faith. Now now we're, uh, in in verse 11, uh, what we should also be doing, right? Um, Let us, therefore, be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall after the same example of disobedience. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner, of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. All right, so normally when we think of, uh, of the word, um, Normally when we think of the word, um, what do we... Oh, what's the best word? But um, when you read a book, what are you doing?
1: Discovering the author's story.
0: Yeah, you're, you're, you're reading the story, you're receiving the story, right? Um, so you are taking the words in. But what is this saying about the word? Mm-hmm. The word actually comes at you and you are not the one who's manipulating the word, the word then is judging you. See, so many times when we come at scripture, we come with our own thoughts and ideas, and then we try to mold it, right, and shape it. And okay, yeah, what does this mean, you know? But but really, God in his word is coming to you, and he is operating on you. Um, now this uh, this word for a two-edged sword, Uh, sometimes uh, you you, you can think of it as a scalpel, right? The scalpel of a surgeon. who He's he's dividing things in you, and he's showing you the things, and and he's he's teaching you to distinguish, just as he's been doing this whole time, between what is sin and separating that from your new man, right? Separating the things of the flesh from the things of the spirit so that we can then begin to distinguish in ourselves Um, But again, we need the word to do it. The word of God is living and active. Um, When we think of the words we speak, uh, how often um, have you spoken words and it hasn't happened? (laughs) Right? Uh, Parents know this best. (laughs) Right? Um, So sometimes, um, what do we think of our own words? How do we view our own words? Or how do we view words in general? They're cheap, yeah. Talk is cheap. Yeah, that's a big paradigm, right? Talk is cheap. Show me, you show me by your, uh, you speak, but I'll do it by my actions. Or or along those lines, right? But here, it sort of turns it on its head. And the word is powerful. And the word judges everything so that it lays everything open. Um, And and this makes sense, especially in Hebrews, because that's what he's been saying all along. The Word is going to do this. The Word is powerful. Um, And it makes sense also that he brings creation into this. Right? Ah, he founded your rest on the seventh day of creation. Well, how did he create all things? By his Word. And when he rules in his kingdom... It's by His Word. So that whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So that the Word of God examines you. And when it speaks to you, it does what it says. So that at the same time that it says you are a sinner, it can also say to you, Christ has taken your sins, and they are gone. This then is how we are experiencing the Word of God coming to us it is sharper than any two-edged sword it is living and active so don't be like those who are disobedient because what did those israelites who came to the promised land what what did they think of the word of god what did the israelites when they approached the promised land what did they think of the word of god Yeah, they, they, yeah, that's true. That's what they did first, isn't it? They sent spies, right? Well, you know, maybe we should check. Just make sure God's word is, you know. And maybe I mean, it sounded righteous, right? Well, we just want to see what, what wonderful things God made for us. But then God divided their intent, right? He knew the difference between those like Joshua and Caleb who said, Look at this stuff. This is great. God promised. Let's go. And then the other ten who said, no way, guys, don't go, you're going to die. And this then, some had the word, and the others who refused God's word were also affected by the word. So the word the word will either judge or it will forgive, but it will work. So when Israel approached, how they considered God's word was irrelevant. God's word did what it said. And those who believed it, what happened to them? They entered. Joshua and Caleb entered the promised land. Of all those that fell in the wilderness, Joshua and Caleb did not. And what about those who did not believe the word? God's word to them still came true. You will wander and you will die. That's it. So God's word is a two edged sword, it cuts both ways. It is law and it is gospel and it gives you what it says. Okay, um, this next section. All right, so, so now we've sort of arrived. Uh, we're, got, we're coming to the rest. Uh, we have this picture where we're, we're keeping people in who are straying, and we also are sort of saying, okay, let's run quickly to get to the rest. Um, we want to arrive in God's rest. So we want to get out of this world. Right, we want to get out of the sin. And we won't be crying in heaven. <laughs> um, so, so, so this then, we're, we're being encouraged. Help the people who are there. Be diligent in seeking the word. And now here's the last part. And this is the most comforting. And this really, um, he's going to unpack this as sort of the theme for the rest of Hebrews. So, so keep this this one section in your mind, if you, if you want, I encourage you to memorize it. But uh, be, here it is. Seeing then that we, that is those who trust in Christ and who look to his rest, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confidence, our confession. Okay, so, so this then is what we're doing. We're holding the confession. That's faith, right? We're holding up. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. So this is what Christ endures. And then finally, what this accomplishes. Verse verse 16. Let us, therefore, come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. All right, so, so we have, throughout this chapter, we have four admonitions. One, let us fear, lest any seem to come short. Two, let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest. Three, let us hold fast our confession. So, so this, is, this is then uh, the, the third admonishment. How do we hold fast our confession? Okay, it's it's picture language, but it's hard to it's hard sometimes to think of this. I, I, the picture is good, but but how do you do that? What, what does it mean to hold a confession?
1: Just to believe
0: what you heard. Just yeah. To, to to, oh, and to repeat it. So to believe it, to repeat it. Wow. Both of those things. Are, so um, it's one thing to say, um, I believe God will account for all my needs. That's another thing to believe that. Now, he's already sort of talked about that, right? You've heard the gospel. You know, Jesus says, do not worry. He says that. He says, don't worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, or what you're going to wear. Okay, and we trust it. So trust is, is, is what's going on. We're, we're, um, we're holding fast by trusting. Um, but how do you know if you trust something? How do you find out what you trust? What? Well, um, okay, you're you're almost at it. How do you how? Um, well, okay. Has anyone played like these trust games, uh, where like you you stand there and you have the other person fall into your arms? Okay. Uh, how do you find out if you trust? You have to be tested. That's what's going on. To hold fast, the only way to grow in trust is to continue not seeing but believing. So that we learn to taste the things that are good, because all the opposite stuff is happening, and yet we're still we're still holding to it, right? Um, so the way you learn trust is by. Uh, By cross. Take up your cross and follow me. Is by affliction. You learn to trust those things. You learn that they're more reliable. Because in the end he brings you through those things. Because you're still sitting here. And how many of you can tell me that you have not had any crosses in your life? Now how many of you can tell me that through those crosses Christ has brought you? Christ has brought you here this day through all your crosses, through all your tribulation and affliction. So then, you've learned to trust in Him. He exercised your faith. And so that's one way that He's training you. But also, we repeat it. Right? Um, and, and and as we repeat it, we learn it. We actually have to have something to cling to. We have a confession. That's why we say the creed. That's why we try to memorize these things. Because you cannot hold strong to something without knowing what it is so so the truth of god is objective and it's something that we can hold on to that's why um, when you get married what do you do on your marriage day what you make a promise right and you'll find out you'll find out how how, uh, how reliable that promise is but that's what God has done. He's made us a promise. Christ is our bridegroom and our high priest. He is the one who has gone before us and he made a promise. Now, we hold on to that promise through all these things by recalling it. So, so we remember it. We repeat it. And, and as husband and wife, repeat it to one another. That's why we say we love each other. right? Because we're repeating the promise. Okay, so that's, that's the way we cling to it. God helps us cling to it by bringing us through trials, our cross. But also, we do it by meditation on God's word. Yeah?
1: That,
0: like the is, the Holy faith, yeah, right. Right. Yeah, we rely on the Spirit, and and that's why that's why this next, the last, let us brings it all together. Okay, so the last let us is let us come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in our time of need, because as we as we look at well you know people are wandering away, and as we look at um when he when he says uh, let us cling more firmly, and Uh, Oh, sorry, let us be diligent and uh, let us hold fast. How are we going to do all that stuff? By coming before the throne of grace. By prayer. By asking for help. And by the Holy Spirit granting that help for the sake of Jesus Christ. So when we pray, God hears us. And as our high priest, he intercedes for us. So don't worry about praying the exact right way you could you could simply pray as we always do in church lord have mercy that's enough he gets it <laughs> um, but of course we can bring all of our needs before our heavenly father and this is this is then the comfort of the rest of hebrews is we are at the throne and during our wilderness wanderings just like israel they had god there and this is the astonishing thing even in the midst of their disobedience Where is God? In the middle. He's still there. He's still offering all of his grace and his mercy. Um, So that today is still the day of repentance. Um, So, now at the end of this then, what is our answer? How then are we to act as Christians?
1: I would say, and I like this connection with the high priest high priest is the representation that's in the tabernacle.
0: That is church. That is where we find the throne. So we as Christians go to the throne. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. We, we come to the divine service. And we have Christ, the high priest, who has put the office of the ministry in our midst to deliver those things. And then when we pray for it, this is the great thing, God responds by giving it to us. You just ate and drank Jesus Christ and he forgave all your sins and he united you to himself so that your faith has been filled up and and we get the promise that we'll be ready when Christ comes again we'll be ready and even now we serve in love and that's why again the lambs today in the gospel the lambs that's what they do they just love people right they don't have anything left to do (laughs) So so, so they, they love as they've been loved. And that's then how they, uh, how they give Christ to the world. How we are, the salt is that we are simply here. And we then are a living sacrifice. We, we are Christ among, uh, for uh, this is why Paul says, uh, to the world we are an aroma from death to death. And to those Christians we are an aroma of everlasting life. Um, But we have grace and help. And this then should be our greatest comfort, is that we Christians, we come with our weakness and our pain and our suffering, and all we do is rely on the grace of Christ. We have sin, he has forgiveness. We have unrighteousness, he has our righteousness. And he gives it to us freely. And that'll bring us through. All right. Um, Well, let us uh, close. Any other questions before we end? Okay, we'll we'll close with prayer. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you as you have commanded us to come to you to pray for grace and mercy, for we are in need. O Lord, continue to show us our need so that we will continue to cry out to you. Help us to memorize, to cling to your confession, and help us also to look for our brothers and sisters so that we can help them with this same word. We bring all these before you, O Lord, and we ask for your mercy and your forgiveness. In Jesus' name, amen.